Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. And we're in the extra time. Kia ora and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Stephen Hewson. In this week's programme, the All Blacks play their first home test of the year against traditional rivals, the Springboks. That's in Wellington tomorrow night, and it's a sellout. After sneaking home against the Pumas in Buenos Aires last weekend, this test shapes as a rugby championship decider. Last year, after eight straight losses to the All Blacks on New Zealand soil, the Springboks enjoyed a surprise win over the All Blacks in Wellington. The question is, can they do it again? And if so, what does it mean ahead of the World Cup? Well, I'm joined now by RNZ rugby reporter Joe Porter and RNZ columnist Hamish Bidwell. Gentlemen, the matches sell out. Joe, you surprised? There's um, actually so much interest in this game. No, not really. G- given c- what happened last year, you know, the shock loss to the Springboks in Wellington, where no one really saw it coming. Not even the Springbok fans gave their team much chance of winning. And I guess since then they've come on in, in leaps and bounds in terms of their own self confidence. Um, And so now I think fans think it's going to be a real test this weekend. And as much as the coaches try and downplay the significance, and we all know no one really cares about this game in the scheme of the World Cup, I think for South Africa in particular, a win would really, really boost their confidence even more so and give them a real shot of belief heading into that World Cup pool match and something that would really spur them on. So for the All Blacks, I think it's almost more of a case of not needing the win so much as not not letting South Africa get their tails up. Um, But yeah, a lot of interest in this game, a sellout. Plenty of people. I suppose it's not going to be a nice night here in Wellington, so we know we can't beat the capital on a good day. And hopefully another tense match like last year, because that drama really, I guess, yeah, you sort of can't replicate that sort of stuff. Is there a sense almost, and it might sound a little bit odd, that it's it's good for the Springboks if they win, because like you say, that confidence, but it might also be a good thing for the All Blacks if they lose and give them a, 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 a timely kick, or just to kick them into action ahead of the World Cup? Or am I um, simplifying things too much? You know, well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I guess Steve Hansen always says, you know, we, you don't need to need to lose necessarily to know what that pain is like. And you don't need to sort of, I guess, remind yourself what it's like to stay at the top of your game and know you don't want to do it or be involved in a loss. However, you never know. Perhaps there is a bit of complacency, but I can't see it. These guys are fighting for World Cup spots. There's a little bit of uncertainty around the squad. There's probably a fair bit of uncertainty around um, how the All Blacks are actually going to attack this World Cup. So I think, really, they probably want to win just to, to make sure that they're I don't know, maintaining a bit of confidence, make sure that South Africa don't get their tails up like I mentioned before. And I think, uh, you know, they want to see guys like Richie Moanga and Bowden Barrett stand up, the forward pack front up this week and put in a much more accurate performance than last week, I would think. They wouldn't want anything close to the rabble that was in Argentina. Hamish, you'll be hanging out for this one, won't you? <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> well, um, yeah, look, it's a trial match. It's, there's nothing riding on it. Um, uh, I'm surprised so many people want to go, but I guess it's a scarcity situation. There aren't any games really in New Zealand before the World Cup. So um, people are bowling along. Good luck to them. Um, the main thing is it's Shannon Frizzell's got a trial. Um, the Bowden, Barrett, Richie Mwanga thing's going to be put under the under the spotlight. And, and those are the two things that are of interest in this match. Otherwise, it's it's, it's got nothing going for it pretty much. It's the old Richie Mwanga at first five. Is this a serious sort of World Cup move by Steve Hansen, or is this simply him giving 
long a, a run. They want him to close games like Cruden did in the, um, the 2017 British Lions series. Now, Cruden was an abject failure. He was too little. He was slow. The Lions crushed him. Barrett was shifted to fullback and at a time when he needed to be the guy with the ball in his hands. And so the All Blacks' hopes of closing games out didn't materialise. Um, Mwanga is still going to be the finisher. He's not going to be a regular starter, but this is a time in the saddle situation as far as I'm concerned. So they're going to try it out. They need to, against decent teams, see how it works. But overall, um, it's still going to be Barrett's team. You can't, you can't bin the first 5-8 this far out from a World Cup. It's, it's too disruptive to the team. Barrett will have been told for years, son, this is your team. You're going to take us to the World Cup. You're going to win us the World Cup. And you can't undermine him, his standing in the team. You can't disrupt the plans this close. Uh, it's the same thing happened with Daniel Carter four years ago. Mwanga's time will come. But uh, in this instance, he's going to be a bench player. He gets a run to start this week, but he'll be a bench player going forward, I assume. Joe, the Springboks have obviously taken this pretty seriously, haven't they, sending that advance party? Yeah, well, that's right. They, they must want to win desperately and must, I guess, you know, really see this game as the key to their rugby championship and their sort of preparation towards the World Cup. I don't know. Another win in Wellington would do a lot of things for their confidence and for their fans. Um, and, and I guess it replicates a tough situation, but they're also experimenting. They've got some players playing out of position and they're, they're trying a few new things. So there, while there is a bit of, there is respect, mutual respect between the sides, like Hamish mentioned, it is a trial match and they are trying trying out combinations and still moving things around. The Springboks are yet to settle on a first choice lineup. They've also got guys like Sia Khaleesi who, Hopefully he'll be back for the World Cup there, sort of talismanic captain, but he may not be, so they've got to try and figure out what they're going to do in the loose forwards if that happens. Um, so again, look, there are going to be a few changes in, in this game, and it probably isn't like last year where they were, you know, hell for leather trying to get the win and nothing else mattered. I think it's probably more about trying combinations. So they've, already, they've sent the advance party. It should be a good game. Hopefully it's close, but, you know, again, benches could be emptied. There's a trial for Fafita and Shannon Frizzell. Sonny Bill Williams, how's he going to go? Is he just going to make his way through the game as limp as he possibly can without getting hurt and try his best to get to the World Cup? I'm not too sure. Uh, but there are a few things that are interesting. What what really intrigues me about this game and the fact that it's not happening is actually how Adi Savia. What I want to know is are they going to put Adi Savia at eight and Kieran Reid at six going forward and the rest of the game perhaps lose like cup? Because I'm not sure if they're... They must be a little bit concerned about blindside flanker. Hamish, thoughts around that? I've got an anecdote there. Um, years ago, when I went down to work in Christchurch, uh, I went along to Canterbury training, and I was introduced to Kieran Reid, who at that stage was a blindside flanker. And I had studiously avoided watching rugby for years, and I had no idea who he was. And they said to me, he's going to be a great six. We see him as being the next great man. And I, in my ignorance, turned to the coach, Rob Penny, and said, who, who's the actual great man right now? And he said, Reuben Thorne. And um, I don't know if Kieran Reid's going to be good enough to live up to the Reuben Thorne's um, legacy, but... He could get a run at that six. It's a problem spot. Scott Barrett's the best option they've got um, that isn't playing given due to injury. Um, Fafita, I don't think he's quite there. Frizzell's definitely not there. Um, so Reed might be worth an option. Um, again, it's a bit like the Barrett situation. Faith is really important and reputation is really important. And you, Shifting Reed is almost a concession that he's not the player he was and it's a bit of a, a loss of dignity. And I'd be really interested to see whether Hanson will toy with that because... Um, yeah, Reed standing was questioned in the in the media last year, and they got very very shirty about it. So, I think the Reed to six thing has merit, but it's, it's there's a lot more sort of emotionally and almost intellectually um, to do with it rather than just footy. It could be a slap in the face if you if you're taking a side of the World Cup and you're not playing in what was your first choice position. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, you've studiously avoided SBW Hamish. Oh look. They're going to take him, aren't they? I mean, he. They he's going really to have to, want to, don't they? That's, that's yeah, like he's going to have to suffer a pretty catastrophic injury between now and then to not be yeah. taken. Now he's 
he's not going to be able to string more than a couple of games together at the actual tournament. He's there for ceremonial purposes. Um, he's there to win hearts and minds. He's there to contribute in team meetings. But he's not. They can't seriously imagine that he's going to be a a, a useful playing option. He's just he's, his body won't allow it. He's hardly played a game in years. I mean, ever since the aborted um, sevens um, idea in 2016, he's hardly strung a game together. So I just I like him. He's so charismatic. You stand by him and you just think you're so unworthy to be in the great man's presence. What a physical specimen. But, you know, while he looks great in a tracksuit and he's good for the marketing department with that nice new jersey they've got for the World Cup, he, he just can't actually play. So he'll go unless he gets badly dinged up. But, I, I yeah, I'm sort of almost past talking about him. Uh, big game for you. <laughs> big game for you, though, too, Hamish. You're out in the middle this Saturday night, too. Yes, quite right. I had a rehearsal at Westpac Stadium last night. Um if you, you might not be aware, but there's a hashtag taking New Zealand by storm, which is hashtag back black. And I am holding one of the K's in this back black. We're going to be this few hundred of us holding up this back black logo um, on the field. Um, we had a, as I say, a rehearsal last night. I've got a part of a K. I'm hoping for the calm and dry weather because it's a bit slippery and a bit heavy. But um, yeah, I'll be out there. Uh, during the anthems and that kind of thing that we're scurrying off quickly before the hucker starts, I think. But yeah, um, I'll be in a black poncho with. Do you, get, do you get to run and, down the tunnel? And waving. Do you get to run down the tunnel? No, no, no. We come in from the, uh, the the tunnel next to theirs by the Cricket Wellington nets, and then we scurry off through the groundsman's uh, tunnel at the other end of the ground. So we don't get to come through the players' tunnel. That's that's reserved for them. But we do do a lap of the ground. So. I can stop for, for selfies and autographs if anyone wants them. Uh, this is just so, it's so you, Ramesh. must have waited four knocks to get you to do this. God. Yeah, there's there's so... no more patriotic New Zealander, no more sort of fan of the man of the people, uh, you know, optimistic, warm-hearted. That's me to a T. So, look, I'll be out there doing my bit for New Zealand and swelling my heart will swell with pride. Thank you, gentlemen. I think we might leave it there because um, otherwise people will actually believe what we're saying. Uh, <laughs> Joe Porter, Hamish Bidwell, thank you very much. Thanks, fellas. Now also back home of the Silver Ferns, the $25,000 better off each two after sponsors of the team club together to come up with a bonus payment following New Zealand's win over Australia and Liverpool on Monday. There's no cash, though, for coach Nolene Toro, who masterminded the win, although Netball New Zealand say they're hoping to be able to offer her and her management team something. We're joined now by Netball reporter Ravinda Hunia, who was obviously over in the UK covering the World Cup. Ravinda, Nolene Toro is off contract. She's back at the Sunshine Coast Lightning as she chases a three-peat in that Australian domestic competition. Is there any doubt she's going to re-sign with the Silver Ferns? I don't think so. And of course, after the final, everyone knew that was her last day of contract. So that was the burning question. And she seemed pretty relaxed about it um, and saying that she wouldn't leave uh, Netball New Zealand in the lurch and and things like that. But ultimately, this has been the goal for Nolene, you know. Um, She has been an assistant coach for the Silver Ferns, now head coach. So I don't think after all her hard work to get into the organisation, she'd be so willing to leave it like this, especially with a World Cup um, title under her belt. And, of course, the the prospect of getting some redemption for the Commonwealth Games is surely going to be on her mind. Yeah, I mean, when she got the job, didn't she? She just described it as her dream job. So to leave after 11 months would, would seem a bit odd. That, that said, I suppose, you're, uh, if you want to leave at the top, there's... <laughs> It's not a bad, not a bad effort straight up. 
Yeah, that's right. Her, her, she's got a pretty good record if she if she left now. <laughs> a record most coaches would dream of leaving with. But yeah, it's um it, it has been her dream, and despite you know all the questions and of confusion of why she wasn't given the job before and why it took Nepal New Zealand so long to come in. I think since she has been in there, she's had so much, um, you could probably call it sway actually, you know, in the way she's run um, the team and the management and, and the way in which they approach this World Cup. So I think in her favour, it's an organisation that are 100% on her side and probably be pretty much willing to do whatever they could um, to keep her and I think Nolene's the type of person that doesn't get into the political conversations with the likes of the media but she would have already had you know this planned for a very long time she would probably know her um, direction of her career and I can't see her going anywhere t um, anywhere soon she's even spoken about in the future becoming the CEO of Netball New Zealand so I, I when she talks like that I don't see her leaving. <laughs> Interesting too, I suppose, comments that we had out of the Australian camp. Lisa Alexander was saying, this was before the, the final, how happy that Silver Fern side looked um, within themselves. So th things are obviously ticking along, not only well on court, but, but off it. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, and that's only the 12 players we saw performing at the World Cup. We saw those changes with them. And we all know that Nolene's um, touched a lot of um, the players during her um, 11 months. So the, you know, the prospect of what, else she could bring in terms of developing um, New Zealand netball not you know outside of that 12 is really exciting and I think a challenge that she would love um, to be a part of and as you say um, everyone Lisa Alexander and everyone in general were talking about just how happy and content the side seemed and the transformation from the Commonwealth Games to this World Cup even considering that there were international series in between you know in that rebuilding phase um, the comparisons were just second to none everyone looked happy everyone looked content and everyone was there for the same purpose and same you know same reason so yeah that was the the um, the, the resounding um, feedback from everybody at that World Cup about New Zealand. Assuming she sticks around too, it presents her with quite another sort of coaching challenge, doesn't it? Because if we work on the, the theory that Maria uh, Falau is going to retire, that Laura Langman may not be around, and obviously Casey Corpua has said that she's pulled the pin, that's your spine gone, isn't it? So she's really, really going to have to um, sort of have another uh, develop, development phase, rebuilding phase, if, if she continues. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's why her having a hand with so many players during this 11 months has helped with that transition because that was inevitable. That was always going to happen. And when we look at um, the World Cup makeup, Maria was never with, you know, Bailey Mez for too long. She was, she spent a lot of time in that shooting circle with Amelia and Ekinasio, who was standout, in my opinion, at that um, World Cup, probably one of the top players of the tournament, in my opinion. Um, but she's the young you know, future of that shooting circle. Casey Corpoa was teamed up with Jane Watson. Jane Watson isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And then, of course, Laura Langman was in there and she was rotating duties with um, Shannon Saunders and Gina Crampton. So while that spine may be leaving, it's, you know, being left in a good place with these three players who are um, have been a part of this development phase and can help, I think, with the next transition. Now, now, in the wake of that World Cup, when there's been a lot of talk about the prize money or lack of, uh, how how do you think the players reacted to that when pretty much every other World Cup of note has got prize money? Yeah, it's a funny thing, eh? Um, 
there wasn't really much talk about it initially, of course, but then, you know, people started to ask questions as to why these players weren't getting paid, especially um, the winners. And I, I thought it was a question for the International Netball Federation themselves, you know, what happens with the organising of all of that. I know it's a, you know, these athletes are semi-professional, they're not regarded as professional athletes, but yeah, there should have been some sort of, um, you know, reward for, you know, besides the gold medal uh, and the trophy. I, I think the players walked away from that um, competition, you know, our, our silver ferns anyway, knowing that, you know, they're now world champions, but I'm not sure if maybe that was uh, enough when you look at the bigger scale of things, when you're on a world stage, there should be a little bit more incentive than that. They've come all this way from the other side of the world. They've put the competition on the map. So, you know, there, there really should have been some reparations. But in terms of how the players would feel about it, I think they would be thinking um, that they should be rewarded for their efforts and at the same time be so thankful to the sponsors that have stood up and recognise them the hard work that they put in. Now, there's obviously been a lot of talk about Silver Ferns, but, I mean, the Australians, how, how do you think they're going to react to this? They've finished second to Silver Ferns here. They finished second to England at the Commonwealth Games. They've missed out two big mm. tournaments there. Um, what, what's going to be the reaction there? First of all, I think they are the makers of their own fate here. They created a competition uh, in Australia, the Super Netball Competition, and created these these players, this world-class tournament. And they've all taken this um, that competition and competed um, at the World Cup and done really well with it. It happened at the Commonwealth Games. We saw England uh, beat Australia in the grand final for the gold. And while Lisa Alexander says that they lost it, England didn't win it. It was a win nonetheless. And I think um, them creating that competition really did just swing the door wide open on the international competition itself on world netball. So they're kind of the makers of their own fate, um, but they'll be licking their wounds uh, well and truly. Lisa Alexander said uh, post-match that, um, you know, the Australian um, netball, they look for results. They look for gold medals on world stages and she hasn't delivered that. So she says she's, she's not going anywhere um, anytime soon, but they will be um, going back to the drawing board and saying, OK, um, how do we come back from this? Again, Australia came into this competition, one of the youngest teams in the competition, but still no excuse. The depth in their team and the depth um, of resources that they have got them well and truly into that um, grand final. They just couldn't cross the line in the end, in my opinion. And I, I really felt that that win came down to, to the coaching, although the, you know, the players played spectacularly, I think it came down to the style of coaching. So I think there will be a, maybe a, a question mark over Lisa Alexander going forward. Ravinda, thank you for your time. And that brings us to the end of Extra Time. We thank Ravinda Hunia, who we were just talking to there about the netball and who covered the Netball World Cup. Thanks too to Joe Porter and Hamish Bidwell. On behalf of the Extra Time team, I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com 
or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.